Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. On today's episode of Food Junkies Podcast, we are joined by Dr. Jen Unwin from the UK. Here she tells her personal and professional story, talks about the ongoing debate on food, sugar, carb addiction, and how she uses the GRIN method to work with clients. She and Vera even do a role play for you. I also want to announce Jen's book, Fork in the Road. It's out now. In this beautifully illustrated book, she teams up with top clinicians in the field to share what they have learned about freeing yourself from the emotional and physical dangers of overeating sugars, flours, and processed foods. The book leads you in a clear way through identifying if you have carbohydrate addiction, finding the motivation to change your life, understanding how to build the right daily eating plan, the strategies for long-term success, and where to go for more information and support. Welcome, Dr. Unwin. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Vera Tarman, uh, co-host of the Food Junkies podcast, along with Molly Pinchub. Today, we are interviewing Dr. Jen Unwin, who is a consultant clinical health psychologist based in the UK. She is a fellow of the British Psychological Society and a former chair of the UK Association of Solution-Based Focused Practice. Dr. Unwin has worked for many years with the NHS, helping patients to achieve well-being despite their chronic illnesses. And last year, she retired and teamed up with her GP husband, Dr. David Unwin, to help people uh, make healthier lifestyle uh, choices, uh, mainly in the low-carb community. Both Unwins are uh, amongst the many experts in the dietdoctor.com website. In their recent work, the Unwins have come up with a couple of valuable clinical tools that we at Food Junkies find extremely useful in working with food addicts, the GRIN, G-R-I-N, and the Glycemic Index Postcard, both of which we will talk about today. But before we get to that, Dr. Unwin, can you please tell us a little bit about your own history professional and personal, but not too much because we, have, we don't have that much time. Uh, but uh, particularly, you uh, you quoted saying, uh, when I look back, I've always been a carbon sugar addict. So why don't you start with that and lead into your positive aha moment? Okay, yeah, definitely. Oh, gosh, yes. I think like many of us, I, I just don't remember a time. I look I look back, way back. I mean, my earliest memories are, uh, are food memories. So that was obviously what was lighting up the neurons. Yeah, so looking back, that 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 was always a thing, and also I'm hundred percent sure my mum, she's not alive today, unfortunately, but um, she was definitely a sugar addict herself. So you kind of uh, you, you pick that stuff up, don't you? But I I I think like like we all think that probably you're just kind of born with this tendency, this special brain, as Bitten would say, uh, and I I think I I definitely had that. There were certainly a couple of things that played into making it worse as a child we had a couple of traumatic things happen in the family which made the adults kind kind of absent not through their any fault of their own <laughs> but I think made me turn more to food as comfort and it was always carby I was always sneaking as again as Bitten would say sneaking in the kitchen uh, looking in the baking cupboard I love baking as well I love cooking I just just adored food really so it started very young and then 
I think it gets more complicated when you get to be a teenager and certainly back in the 80s you know there weren't very many overweight people but I was an, I was an overweight um, kid at a, girl, a girl's school and I was just about the only one in the class so I think that that has its effect on you and then of course I started and with my mum the cycle of trying all the diets and there were some really crazy diets in the 80s that some will remember there was one that was to do with eggs and grapefruit that was a that was a that was a classic but there were many many others and we kind of tried them and you know nothing much worked and then on and off you know I did yeah I did some successful dieting you know I, I got to a kind of happiness with my weight quite often white knuckling it and then the weight would creep back on and I you know I just hadn't understood the the kind of the core issue really until I would say I was about 48 so about eight years ago when I first discovered low carb do you want me to talk about that yeah so I was uh it was yeah my aha moment moment for low carb I don't think it was that wasn't the whole story but um yeah I was wandering around the supermarket one January you know kind of thinking need to start another diet and there there in the remainder bin was a book called escape the diet trap and it's written by um a UK GP some years ago and I thought oh escape the diet trap that's what I need to do so I picked up this book and lo and behold it was um it was a book about low carb and I was kind of really interested in the science because he it wasn't a big book but he simply wrote the science of of low carb and insulin and fat burning and and how all that works and hunger and I you know it, it really made sense so as is my kind of typical way of things in life, I jumped straight into it. I did the whole cold turkey thing. <laughs> and as as I'd been a lifelong carb eater, um, I didn't feel too great for a couple of weeks. I, I'm sure I'm sure many people can identify with that. I just sort of sat in a chair and stared into a corner for about two weeks. But then, I, uh, you know, I had this kind of miracle awakening after about, I think it was about 10 days. I felt amazing. And my brain was alive and everything was in multicolour. And I kept rattling on to David about how marvellous it was and reading him bits out of this book. And uh, he was kind of poo-pooing it, as doctors did back, back in the day at that time. Um, but he saw how well I did. And, yeah, to me, it seemed you know, a way of eating really well, really healthily, but sustainably and not, not being hungry, not having those kind of cravings. I kind of, kind of wobbled a bit over the years. And I think, I think that's something we're going to talk about as well, wasn't it? What the sort of pitfalls, I think that's to do with what we call carb creep. Now, when we talk to patients, it's that, you know, it just can creep back in or, you know, this idea of just having a little bit when you've not really understood it's an addiction or doing the whole keto baking thing is a disaster for us, isn't it? So that always ended badly. (laughs) We definitely have to talk, touch on that, that carb creep in the, yes, absolutely. So so that that happened a bit and then I would say about 4 years ago I suddenly sort of I I understood I'd kind of heard some stuff you know and I think I'd seen some stuff from Bitten and it just clunked into place then ah that's I'm definitely an addict how can I have not seen that I'm a psychologist oh my goodness yeah and then I really got it and then from then it's it's been much easier in a way understanding it in in that way and the logic of that, and then what you do when you've come to that conclusion. And so when I, I just retired a couple of years ago from the NHS and, uh, you know, just decided to dedicate my time to, to this mission now and trying to, just trying to help as many people 
as I can really. And so that was an extension of the low carb work that I was already doing with David. We've been doing that for about eight years. The addiction piece has sort of come, as I say, in the last, really more in the last two years since I've had time to devote myself to it. But we have been working with people with low carb and keto to help them cure all kinds of um, physical, but also mental health challenges in his GP practice. So it makes sense, your whole entire story. I mean, I think so many of us, especially today, like, we're like, ding, you know, this is how we got there. Like, oh, it starts out one way and then it just kind of evolves and, and here we are. So, you know, so then it evolves to now you're speaking at low carb USA Boca just, you know, what last week, two weeks ago already, yeah. I, time flies. I'm not really sure anymore. Um, but, you know, in that, you know, you, you talked about this topic of um, using low carbohydrate diet as a way to treat food addiction, you know, and I was on that call. I watched the, the, the conversation happen um, with the questioning and, and Dr. Robert Saivez, carb addiction doc jumps in there and starts mm. challenging this term food addiction. Yeah. And you, you agreed with him a little bit and I would have loved to see it talked about more. So here's our opportunity. You know, what do you think this addiction should yeah. be called and why? Like, is there specific research or nomenclature that supports one versus the other? You know, what do we, what research do we need to support whatever it is you, you know, mm. your in your opinion? Yeah. Do you know, I, I, I keep going around a little bit in circles. I think it's a debate that that we all need to have. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd even be interested to hear what, what you got. You know, there's a lot of be, people been working in this space much, much longer than I have. I think when you look in the literature, it's called, it, it says food addiction, doesn't it? So when you do the literature search for food addiction, some, some papers, sugar addiction, because people, when you say sugar addiction, people say, well, it isn't just sugar, which is kind of true because, you know, it can be these other sort of, high carbohydrate foods but then it kind of is true because if you think well you know people have got a problem with bread or pasta we know it's starch and that's glucose molecules glucose is a sugar so in a way it's still sugar addiction <laughs> food addiction seems a bit broad I mean I was kind of coming around to that I, I thought I might get that question and particularly because he would be on the court and I had been thinking well yeah carb addiction does does capture it quite well actually because it, it is is the sugars in in the carbohydrate as well and as bitten says you know those people who struggle with bread and those kinds of foods you know so, sometimes it's you know it's it's even harder than when it's just cutting out the the sugary foods yeah so so maybe carbohydrate and you know even some of us that struggle with maybe nuts or mm. or dairy i suppose you could still say well it's probably because it's that kind of fat carb combo which is you know something that is particularly potent so yeah, I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you do you yeah, guys have thoughts on it? Jen, why don't you? I, I'd be really interested in uh, uh, this is this is my perspective, and give me your thoughts. I tend to um, like, especially in my book, Food Junkies, talk about this as a continuum. So definitely, it starts with sugar and refined carbs for sure. Uh, but then, as the progression continues, it then uh, includes because it's gradual and progressive. And if the people are still eating badly and don't get off the train, as it were, it can then include things like grains and dairy and and yes, yeah, still some sugar. Yes. But then it can move into the behaviors themselves, overeating of even healthy foods because the the dopamine uh, uh, adaptation is now it's just the anticipation of food. Mm -hmm. Forget about sweet food, and so then we start to see anorexic and bulimic like behaviors that yes. that end stage it's actually no longer about the the sugar anymore although it started that way how does mm. that sit with your understanding yeah no it it, it sits well and that you know as you say that it becomes 
more of, of a process addiction the longer you go on, that it becomes so tied up with everything in life. You know, this thing about, well, partly because of the dopamine piece, life sort of focuses down and down on onto food and eating and we start to neglect other activities or kind of re- reinforcing things that we might be doing. So, yeah. So it comes to dominate the whole, it, it, it's more about eating. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Yeah, so you'd, you'd be more of the food addiction camp. Well, I, you know, I, I would actually go with sugar addiction because that's what people will listen to. That's what they'll relate to. But in the back room in my clinical corridor, as it were, the umbrella is wide and, and food would be more appropriate because I see end stage. In the uh, early days, like the internet and keto, you're seeing the beginning stages. I see the end when people are shut-ins, 400 pounds, you know, have their hagen dazs or their, their ice cream brought into them. Delivered, know. yeah. Exactly. And, and so for me, that's food addiction. Yeah, I think, I think it, it, you know, it's, it's great to have these debates. And yeah, maybe, maybe Vera, you need to write a paper on that, maybe. Okay. <laughs> right on. Or somebody oh, does. <laughs> uh, maybe Molly and, uh, and Christy, because you guys are yeah. fantastic. Okay, anyway, Molly, can we uh, carry on to the next question? About, yes, absolutely. Uh, Go ahead. I, I would really like it, Dr. Unwin, if you would speak to the GRIN, uh, G-R-I-N, Goals, Resources, Increments, Noticing model, and how that can, uh, first of all, if you can just give a, a, a thumbnail description, and then how that might be used in the food addiction world. Yes, absolutely. So, so when I started working with with David, obviously GPs are incredibly busy. Like he has sort of five, ten minute appointments with with people to try and sort of make a difference. So it's incredibly uh, difficult. My yeah, background, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really really tough. My background therapeutically was. I was kind of trained uh, traditionally, as as many therapists are, CBT and, um, you know, the more traditional therapies. I worked in a large um, hospital here in the northwest of the UK for a while with the plastic surgeons. And um, we had people coming from all over and we didn't have them for long because they would be discharged home. So, you know, you had to kind of, it, it became less about doing therapy and more about sort of trying to quickly get to people's kind of hopes and motivation and and get some sense of how they were going were they going to be okay or not really and also i noticed working in a big hospital that you know oftentimes people would have these terrible things going on in their lives but the vast majority of them would actually cope really well some people would need some help but you know maybe maybe 10 or 20% of people would, would struggle. So, you know, what were the other 80% doing? And I started thinking about that. I started being interested in positive psychology mm-hmm. and particularly hope. I think hope is, is so central and we need, we need a way of understanding that and we need a way of facilitating that in healthcare or in any helping encounter. We need to understand people's hopes and kind of um, be able to enhance enhance that. So that that was how it started for me. So I trained in solution-focused brief therapy then because that, that seemed to really, really fit. The model is all about hope, really. It's about what people's best hopes are for having a conversation with you and starting at that point. That enhances their motivation, if you like, for, for, for change, um, for, for doing something different. But it's all, on, it's all about their agenda, really, and un- uncovering it's philosophically a very different thing from traditional 
interactions because it assumes that the person themselves already has the means to make those changes. You're just asking questions to uncover their competence and you just trust that, that they know that and they're going to move in the right direction if you have that kind of conversation. And so it's a lovely, lovely way to work and takes a lot of burden off practitioners, particularly when you're working in that sort of fast-paced, stressful environment. Uh, so I trained in that. And so I was trying to kind of get the ideas over to, to David in a way that he could use in his 10-minute or you know however long appointments and also that we could pass on to, say, the nurses or other doctors who were wanting to do this work because it's all about behavior change isn't it it is all about people doing something different and being motivated to to try that yeah so it's informed by very much by solution focused brief therapy thinking and also by positive psychology findings and grin stands for goals which is the always the first step you have to start with what are the person's best best hopes for coming to talk to you what what are their personal goals and one of my favorite ever colleagues used to say it's a long day on the golf course if you don't know where the hole is mm. and really that just gets across this lovely idea that you're kind of both batting in the same direction you know you know where you're going you know what success is going to look like for that person and just the act of asking that sort of question is remarkable because sometimes you 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 never know what you're going to hear number one <laughs> number two you just learn fantastic amazing things about the person's values and aspirations and 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 hopes and sometimes they're very kind of humble things that that people want actually so they're not they're not sort of pie pie in the sky if I can use that slightly inappropriate terminology yeah so it's always about starting the conversation about you know what do you, what are your best hopes for us talking today or you know if in six months time you look back and this was the day, <laughs> this was the aha day, you know, and everything's so much better. Tell me about what's going on in your life in that kind of six months forward time frame. So that's the kind of goal-based bit of the conversation. And R, R is the next bit. It's about people's resources. So we often forget that people come with incredible competence. And I think this really sits well, actually, with, with food addiction work is that, yeah, most of us, I think, I think you even said it on one of the podcasts recently is that, you know, we're kind of really competent in all areas of our lives, apart from this one area where this sort of carnage going on with, with the with the food. So, but it really helps to understand people's resources and who's around for them and what's worked in the past. Like problems are never static. There's always exceptions to problems. There's, there's always times, like I had times in my life where things were much better actually. And what was that about? And you can, you can discover quite a lot by asking questions about when things have gone well in the past or what people's strengths are, because you can, you know, they're going to use that in, in getting to where they want to be. So that's the resort, the resort and who's around, you know, kind of what's going on in people's lives. It's that, that's really important. We find that certainly in the groups that we run, you know, we, we ask people to bring, you know, significant others. If other people are doing the cooking or whatever, you know, who's around supporting them? I is for increments, little little signs of change. You know, what, what would they be looking for? So if this this life where they're not struggling with food and sugar that they've described to you as their goal and their best hopes, and you try and get a really rich description of that, if that's their sort of 10 out of 10 moment, if they get there, you know, that's going to be complete success. Mm. And naught is the worst they've been or, you know, where none of that is present. Then you can ask a bit about, well, you know, where where, where are you now? And and most people, some people say zero, obviously, and that, that's fine. 
most people usually have something to say. Usually say three, actually. I don't know why it's human nature to mostly say three or four. And then you can ask about, well, what's already, you know, what's already working? What makes it that? What makes it, what makes you say three? And people might say, well, you know, I'm already, I'm already, you know, going for a nice walk every day with my friend or um, I take my lunch to work. You know, I make a proper lunch and take it to work. I'm not eating in the canteen anymore. I've already made that change. So there's always something kind of already going and then I is the next little bit you'd ask about well you know if you're saying three now you know if if I saw you in a couple of weeks time and you were saying four what would you be doing that would tell you it was four or what would you have noticed that would tell you that you were four and what you'll notice about that question is it's not how did you get to four (laughs) which is a kind of kind of doing thing it's how what would you what would you notice and then n the end of grin N is for noticing because that's just so incredibly important. And that's for the doctor or the practitioner as well as the person. A relentless paying of attention to signs of things being more like they want them to be and when that happens and what were the circumstances of that and celebrating those small changes, really noticing. Because in healthcare, what we do is we tend to notice symptoms or problems or you know we kind of focus on what's not going so well and as human beings we do that as well we tend to notice what we've not done rather than what we've done and sort of celebrate those those moments really so and then that becomes a sort of ongoing process that you can do a little bit in each appointment so usually you first like say for David his first appointment when he met someone would be around you know what are your best hopes for us talking maybe some idea of who's around and what they've done well in the past and maybe an idea of when we next meet you know what would you like to notice and then and then just keep going with those sort of questions and those that process and it's it's kind of it's like magic solution focused you have to try it to believe it but it is like magic since you said it was a, a five or ten minute, it fits within a five or ten minute interview. Is there any chance we could just do a little uh, uh, example of it right now? I can, of I can. Course. I'm a patient, and I've just had a relapse. And uh, what, let's see, let's see it in. Yes, I, I'm going to do it. Right. Okay. Hi. Great. Thanks Hi. for coming in today. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was doing so well, and I relapsed. I relapsed because it, it's nighttime. I can't stand the night. And uh, I woke up. It was four in the morning. The food was calling and I, oh, I ended up relapsing. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, great that you've come in. What do you, what are your best hopes for us talking today? What, what, what do you think would? Oh God. Well, I, I, I think I'm okay, but what happens about tomorrow or tonight at four in the morning? Like, like I'm okay now, but now I feel like I've lost my, uh, my confidence and, uh, I'm afraid of waking up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Okay. So, Tell me about a time when you woke up in the night and and you were able to 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 not eat or to have you had a time like that or a better night? Yeah, I mean most of the time um you know I wake up I know it's a scary time. I know it is, but I'm usually able to say it's okay, you did it. You can just go to sleep. But last night it was like that little voice that said, "Yeah, the fridge go down there. And I couldn't shut that off. I don't often have that voice, but it got me. No. So when it's not there, I just, I'm sort of like, okay, I don't like it. Here I am. I'm going to go back to sleep. But, Mm -hmm. and I've had that voice before, but I think it's the fact that it's in the middle of the night. I don't have anybody to call. I I feel really vulnerable. I'm me and the food are in battle and I'm all by myself. 
Wow. Yeah. When you've had the voice before, you ever noticed a, a time when you've been able to, you know, even though it's the middle of the night, you've you've kind of talked to it or you've, uh, you've ever found a way to? Yeah. Yes, I would say so. Sometimes if I don't feel alone, so even even not exactly a prayer, but even if, if I feel more like I'm hooked to the higher power thing, then I feel like I'm not completely alone. Okay. Yeah. 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 And how have you done that in the past? Or have you got hooked to the higher power? It sounds like that's something I that helps. I, yeah, I think I have to, um, before I go to bed at night, have a little conversation, which I guess you could call prayer. But it, it, it's not even that official. It's just, I'm going to bed and I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm in an okay place. It's, it's like there's a force of negative and positive and I'm moving into that positive place. And okay. then, yeah. What else? Anything else? Well, I, in the middle of the night, it's harder, but if I can hook up with somebody, I connect up with somebody. The language of today, hook up means something else. <laughs> <laughs> in my generation, it just meant uh, if I can connect up with somebody. And, you know, there's a lot of meetings. I, I could read more stuff or actually probably listen to a podcast. Ah. Listen to our podcast. <laughs> That's good. That's good therapy. Yeah. Is is that enough? Is that a has that been helpful? Yes, I think so. Okay. Yes, I think so. Um, That's I mean, that was only kind of a tiny bit, and I didn't really get to go into sort of. I might have gone into, you know, but how how confident you were, and what might make you one, yeah. you know, one tiny bit more confident. You know, yeah. what what would you notice if you went to bed and you were kind of conf- more more confident? You know, what would you what would you notice tonight if if right. If, if the best version of yourself turned up and you were going to bed confident, what would you notice? We might have a bit more of a conversation about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I really see now, I'm speaking out of, out of that uh, realm, uh, that persona. What I really see is that you're really exploring the, uh, the, 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 the resourcefulness as opposed to the uh, fearfulness. And uh, yeah. I remember I listened to a podcast where um, your husband spoke about his aha moment of how he just couldn't stand listening to failure after failure without this hopeful note and I when I heard that if I can just say right now I could so relate to that that that, that this is the story of uh GP work is is uh it's just you know one failure after another but to be able to focus on the the resourcefulness yeah and the the, you know you meet such heroes really don't you I mean we all do don't we you meet people you, you don't know how they're getting through but they're getting through and you can sort of say you know how how have you how have you done that? It's a really good question. You know how what keeps you going? How have you done that? You know I'm so impressed. You know compliments I think and 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 celebrating as I say this the the, the practitioner themselves noticing you know yes. um, wow you know when you think how far you've come you know all of those things that you can sort of celebrate with people that you know there's evidence that the solution focused approach is much better for practitioners in terms of um, burnout. Because you're, yes. it's not on you to solve the the problems of of the person. You're not going away trying to be clever in between sessions, thinking, you know, oh, I need to be really clever to kind of help this person. And what can I suggest? No, you're just asking these questions. You're drawing out their own resourcefulness. And then what you get, of course, is not that they attribute the success to you. <laughs> uh-huh. In the end, you know, they, they what they learn is that they could all they they've done it. You've I think it was Steve Zashaja's one of the originators of solution focus used to say, you know, leave no footprints. 
It shouldn't be about us. It should be uh, about about the client themselves. It's it's a, it's a really beautiful way of practicing and, and quite different from the traditional, you know, tell me about all the problems. And it just fits so, so yeah. well with food addiction because we're all we're all unique. We've all got that unique story, unique strengths. Actually, we've got unique solutions. So none of us have the same exact food plan, timing, you know, macro. There isn't a magic there isn't a magic food plan, <laughs> sadly, that suits of all. Suits. If only there was, we'd we'd would would be out of work. But um, yeah, every, everyone has to find what they notice works for them, and that changes over time. So we all have to keep. The other lovely thing about this approach is we we can do it on ourselves, you know, because we're all still mm-hmm. pursuing that sort of that best version of ourselves and noticing when that person turns up and what was it that that enabled that to happen when when are we at our best and uh, yeah I think it's just a lovely philosophy of life but also a way of having conversations clinically but also with other people a lot of the the work that David and I have it done together in fact it started out uh, out of a conversation like that because as you say Vera he was uh, this is about eight or nine years ago now he was kind of kind of burnt out looking back he couldn't he couldn't bear that all the tablets and the things he was trying to do for people people were just getting sicker and sicker and more and more and more overweight more diabetes you know like he was sort of thinking of retiring and uh we had a conversation about well you know if you were if you were to go out with a bag instead of a fizz you know what what that what might that look like and it was at the same time as I discovered this all this low carb stuff and was kept banging on about it uh and also we thought it might be fun to to do something together which we hadn't done up to that point um we had we had our separate jobs so I I've been a massive fan of group work and the power of group connections so for people that I worked with who had long-term health conditions or life-limiting health conditions the power of of the group was uh just brilliant and and gps never work with groups they they would run a mile he 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 didn't like the idea at all <laughs> i said it's fine we'll do it you know i'll i'll help you and we'll do it and so we just did it just did it in the evenings to help people and uh all of this going around the world talking at international conferences ca- just came out of that one conversation really and uh yeah I think that's super. Yeah, it's super awesome. And and this was one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you on for sure is because I have been super interested in solution focused brief therapy for a while now. I've done a couple trips to Denver to go train because I think that the, the appealing thing, right, is that it's not actually therapy. It's it's learning a new language. It's just learning to talk to people in a different way. And you don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a doctor. You can be a correctional officer. You can be a nurse. You can be a pastor. You can be whoever. And it's just a different way to talk to people to move away from the problem and toward the solution. And so, um, when, you know, you've talked to, I, when you went to low carb Denver in 2018 with David and just, I was in love with you guys. I was like jumping up and down and I was like, I have to go do solution focus. Definitely. Now I have to go do it. Like I had been on my radar and then you guys convinced me. And certainly you and Vera just showed why, um, it demonstrated why this would work with food addiction and being able to talk to somebody who's maybe struggling with that night eating or whatever, you know, issue is coming up that concern, you know, and, and I might, so my question would be, well, first I want to plug 
you know, and just let you know, Vera, in case you didn't know, Jen is going to be uh, our in-service provider for our our food addiction professional networking group in March. She is going to come and actually train us in how Mm -hmm. to do this with our clients. So I'm super excited about that. But that being said, you know, who, what are, you know, are there some clients or some populations, I guess I should say, in which this method doesn't necessarily work for? And who might those people be? Like, who should we, you know, who should we be on the lookout for? No, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I think it's a, it's a way of having useful conversations as I say, with anybody, with yourself. I think often what happens is that because we've, we've had these conversations with, with our clients. So say that, say that, that person that Vera was role-playing, there's something about asking those questions that I think sticks in people's heads that then they can start asking themselves. So you're almost teaching people a really, and it's so, I mean, it's ridiculously simple. <laughs> when I first encountered it, I was like, this is, this is too simple. I'm a very clever psychologist. You know, it can't, it can't be this simple. It's really simple. It's not particularly easy. And that was another thing that I think Steve Shazer used to say that, you know, it, it, it's simple, but it's, it's not easy to keep asking these questions because it's a bit countercultural which I like because it fit. that's another way it fits with how we are in the world because we have to be a bit countercultural to live the way that we live. And uh, so I, I quite like that Solution Focus is quite countercultural as well. And I do, what, what's, again, fantastic about it is it's a kind of do-no-harm therapy. You're asking about people's strengths, their resources, their successes, their dreams and hopes. And there's nothing in that that's going to trigger anybody, set something off. I think obviously a lot of people who, who come for food addiction treatment do, do have trauma. That, that's absolutely right. And sometimes it's that that's worsened the whole condition for them or really entrenched them in some ways of behavior. But I really agree with Bitten that actually, you know, you, you can focus on helping people with the, with the food situation and, and, then, and then kind of see what see what's left and see if people then need to address the the trauma issues you i have seen in you know in my practice back in back in the day that where you start by focusing on the trauma whatever the the person's come with you you can actually make people quite a lot worse and if they're already in crisis Mm. it's not a great idea really so solution focused is a yeah it's definitely a do no harm you're supporting people you're helping people to to move forward just at their own pace if if that if that's what they want to do at that time, and you're okay. being so so respectful because it's so person centered, it's so focused on whatever they say is the goal you go with. It's not that you know yeah. because I think you should. You're essentially ending the interview on a message of hope rather than of despair and and uh, fear. So that Absolutely. that in itself is a great way to end. Um, Absolutely. But, I, uh, I want to get to your other tool because uh, I mean, you, it's another very, very useful tool, uh, the glycemic index in infographic. And uh, I, I know that David Unwin is the one who uh, designed that, but I, I'm assuming that you're competent or willing to uh, speak to it. So if you yeah. could give a brief uh, uh, description of what that is and why it is so amazing and then how that might uh, work with food addiction, because to yeah. me, it's like an amazing tool for that. Again, so what happened was we were trying to sort of explain to people with type, well, so mostly people with type two diabetes that we we were working with, 
about the the amount of sugar, if you like, that, that's in certain foods, so that they could understand that just because it was pasta or, or rice, you know, it it still had had a lot of sugar in it. And David got all interested in the glycemic index and the glycemic load, and was sort of talking about it. And then I think he was boring one of the partners in the coffee room at work, and they said, "Well, just just go away and you know work it out and come back and <laughs> come back and explain it to me in a simple way." And uh, so that's what he did. He got in touch with um, an international expert on um, glycemic index, uh, Professor Jeffrey Leavesy, and they wrote a paper together, actually. So we can we can always put that in the notes. The calculations are in there if, if people want to sort of work out the teaspoons. of. So what it is, it's representing the amount of sugar in foods in a way that people understand. Because obviously starch digests down into glucose, but people don't really... People don't really know what glucose is, this kind of white powder. Nobody really knows what glucose is. So they've t- he turned it in through the calculations into teaspoons of sugar equivalent table sugar and then did it in a little graphic. And, and yeah, they've gone all around the world because people are just amazed at the idea that a banana has six teaspoons of sugar in it. You know, I got to interrupt. I, I've been using one of his uh, infographics in a slide package that I've been teaching, not even knowing who he was. And then when I saw that it was you guys, it was like, oh my God. It, <laughs> I mean, it, yes, it's ter- It's very useful. Yeah. So if people want to find them, and I think, I think the paper's probably there as well. Um, there's a charity in the UK called the Public Health Collaboration and it's www.phcuk.org. And all of David's infographics are on there. And they're in loads of different languages now because lovely people keep going off and translating them into Arabic and <laughs> uh, all sorts of different languages. There's loads of different languages. And, and there's a number of different postcards as well. I and mean, there's kind of the fruit and vegetable one because he would he would mm. get annoyed that people would say, oh, people should eat more fruit and veg. And he'd say, well, you know, it depends what you mean by fruit and veg because, you know, some fruit and some veg are in, incredibly full of sugar, so they're not good choices for people with type two diabetes or or food ad- or sugar addiction. Yeah, so there's a there's a number of them up there. They have, um, I think you guys know that they they did get a bit of bad press from mm-hmm. one of the uh, UK Sunday papers for some reason decided to sort of uh, <laughs> to have a go at criticising them. You know, you know, I want to talk about the pushback, but before we get to the yeah. pushback, I just want to uh, can I just flesh out here. That with the glycemic index postcard, that will tell us where the the food is sugary, and therefore we can extrapolate from that potentially more food addictive, not just problematic for diabetes, but also for food addiction. Yes, I would say so. Yeah, because you know it, it it's the things like the tropical fruits, for example, or yeah, or things like rice or pasta, which digest down into a lot of sugar. So obviously, our brains and our bodies don't know the difference if we've eaten. Or drunk a can of Coke, or you know, eaten two bananas. So, you know, it's it's essentially physiologically, it's the same in the in the in the liver and and, and in the brain. So then, this kind of leads into your talk at Low Carb USA Boca, when you talked about low carbohydrate diet as a potential treatment for food addiction. And yeah. we kind of wanted to expand on that a little bit too. Not just low carb, but also keto. Keto is like the the hot term right now, right? Like people love it, they hate it. That's got it's 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 all over the place. And so you know why is low carb and or keto because they are different you know why might that be an ideal like treatment for food addiction as far as food plans go but also when might it not be and you'd kind of started to alluding a little bit to it when you were talking about the keto baking and that kind of thing but yeah if we could just kind of have your take on keto low carb as a treatment and like when does it kind of fall apart for 
food addicts. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, because, you know, as Vera said, it's, it all starts with the sugar and then it kind of goes on to other things. And, and you know, end stage, it's, you know, it's probably most um, carby foods and, you know, sometimes we get to grains and nuts and so on. So you're obviously going to want to be abstinent from sugary foods or foods that digest down into a large amount of sugar because they're going to be triggering for the for the, the brain. So uh, that makes complete sense, low carb, um, keto, and then it's going to be how low do you need to go? And then that's where the individual stuff comes in is, you know, to, to, if you if you get into a place where you're not having cravings and, you know, you're feeling <laughs> peaceful around your food plan and, you know, you can really happily stick to it and, um, you know, just kind of happy with the results, then, then that's great. Um, it may, may be that you need to cut out a few more things if that's not, if that's not the case. Uh, yeah, the problems come, I think, when people start doing the things like things that are really allowed in the keto space like keto keto baking cheat days seems to be you know it's often quite a thing isn't it and you see it in social media a lot and I know I go to a to a boot camp where they recommend low carb actually amazingly that's that's the sort of um the eating plan that they recommend but um the trainer there has a has a thing about oh yeah cheat days are fine you know kind of thing and I'm like oh well maybe for some people but you know not for everybody so it's not it's not about you know just go ahead with it with the cheat days alcohol is another problem uh, yeah. because you know say on diet doctor which is a fabulous website actually i recommend it to loads of people and we definitely recommend it to the patients with type 2 diabetes but you know keto keto drinking sort of whiskey and vodka and stuff like that yeah that's that's not going to end well probably for most most food addicts so it's a sort of super clean keto i sort of see it as that and sometimes you know need to be very cautious with dairy and, and and nuts and so on and things like that so it's just yeah it's like a right. super clean super right clean avoid fat. all the processed products that are out there labeled keto like oh, don't, don't overdo those. it on the fat bombs and yeah. treats and don't buy the dr atkins bars don't yeah. buy anything with sweet i mean that's the other thing isn't it it's the sweetness yes. really when people are doing the keto baking i you know i definitely used to get into a problem with with sweeteners and then it was really you know you have to give it up again you thought, how have I done that again <laughs> yes I know I, I just haven't had any 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 artificial sweeteners even if they're natural people <laughs> haven't yeah. had so, any, any so, of that for years thank you so much about that so those are the two tools we wanted to address but now you had kind of alluded to the pushback and let's talk a little bit about the clinical pushback of this benign but so powerful tool why would somebody have a problem with that? And, uh, uh, you know, how can we deal with that? Because it's so, like you said, no, do no harm. Where is the harm in this? Yeah. You mean with the, with the sugar infographics? Yes. Yeah, there's there's, there's yeah. no harm in it. I, yeah. uh, what do you know? I don't know what's behind it. Big food. I mean, there hasn't been. Um, so it was just this one article really in the, in the Sunday papers. I think there, there, there are some, um, researchers in in the uk that just don't agree with with low carb they just they don't uh -huh. agree with it so they didn't like the fact that nice which is our national institute of clinical excellence had endorsed david's infographics as part of the diabetes guidelines they had them up there on their website and i think that was there was a couple of people who do, who don't think that low carb is a good treatment for type 2 diabetes and obesity and I don't know exactly who they were, but they got with this journalist and uh, they they kind of they, they wrote. Yeah, they wrote this piece and then nice 
did actually withdraw their endorsement. They said they didn't say that, as I say, the calculations are all completely right, but because they don't endorse low carb for type 2 diabetes, and they saw that some people were taking the infographics to make it look like they did endorse low carb, they said they didn't want to endorse low carb, so they've withdrawn them for now. Wow. I don't know why they don't endorse low carb because in their own guidelines it says that people with type 2 diabetes should eat food, foods with um, low glycemic index. And Which basically endorses low carb. Yeah. <laughs> Which ends up being low carb. So loads of people pointed that out at the time. But, uh, you know, it's like David says, you, you, can, you can only fight so many battles, really. So much progress has been made in the last eight years. Eight years ago, we were the only people in the UK doing doing that work and it it was quite controversial at the time now he's got a google group of over 400 doctors ah. all in the uk only in the uk who are who are all doing this work there's a number of other lots of other practices big gp practices in the uk doing yeah. this work so you know things have come a really long way i think i think yeah. the tide is turning <laughs> Yeah, I think the tide is turning. In Canada, we had a, a we have a low carb, uh, sort of more more women than uh, men, a GP uh, group that are growing and growing. I think they started in the tens and hundreds, and now are in the thousands. Um, so yeah. yeah, we're we're at the cusp. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think the cat the cat is th- thoroughly out of the bag, and you know because there is a, a reasonably big over overlap between type two, obviously obesity. Uh, food addiction you know we know from the research that there are large proportions of people with type 2 who who are you know they've they've got in that situation because they have this struggle with food so i you know I, that's that's helping a lot of a lot of people if they can just understand that concept of of low carb uh it has such a massive impact on their physical and, and mental health yeah absolutely and and i think it's just so refreshing to hear that these groups of gps it's growing and growing right and so um i'm on the food addiction institute i'm a board member on there and i know we've reached out to you jen to ask you for your help in this um you know going back to to your research and your talk at low carb boca and like just your experience for the last 8 years just kind of these incremental steps that you've been taking so you know at the food addiction, we're trying to get them to recognize food addiction. And actually it's funny enough, we just had our annual quarterly meeting today and we had to start having this conversation of what do we name it? So that was part of the reason why I'm asking you, Mm. you know, the other part is, is, you know, what do you see are the next steps towards, uh, you know, us getting recognition by the who, by the APA, you know, do we even stand a chance to get this into the, the DSM if there's a revision of five or into six, um, or into the ICD 11, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? What 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 steps should we take to be successful? You know, give us your yeah. inside knowledge. Is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm quite. <laughs> I'm I'm optimistic. Whether it will be this one or the or the next one, I you know I see that the evidence is there. Not not just because I kind of want I want it to be. You know, I think it's there. I think we just have to organise and we have to agree. You know, and there's all these debates. Like, so we've just I've been working with Heidi, as you know, you spoke to Heidi today looking at the the submission to the WHO for the ICD ICD yeah we have to kind of decide exactly where we want to pitch it in terms of what their structures are how we're going to name it you know what is the key evidence that we're putting forwards and putting that in a coherent way uh and I say even if it isn't if even if it isn't this time you know I think it's I think 
I think probably it'll it will it will come. I mean, the push obviously there's there's pushback from uh, from the there's going to be pushback from the food industry. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's the same story as as the as the smoking, isn't it? I think it's uh, you know it's it's going to go a similar way. Well, you know, we're, we we are all working together. Like Robert Robert Lustig has yeah. just he's just in the process of publishing a book, which he says names names in the food industry. Uh, and you know, then there we are with our bit. And so, yes. incrementally, we can use your model incrementally. Yes, uh, I think that yeah, there's reason to 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 be hopeful. Definitely, I was going to mention Robert Lustig because I was just reading his paper that he published last year. That may it's just a, a may. I mean. He's got a brain like a planet, hasn't he? You know, uh, so it's wonderful to have people like that on our side. And there's there's obviously yeah. all Gary Torb's stuff as well about um, mm-hmm. about the you, you know the case against sugar and the and the the case for keto as well that he's he's just published. I think there's some fantastic stuff coming out. So um, the, I, th- I think the, one, one thing we could do with more of, and I think I said at the at um, the low carb conferences, there is so little actually on treatment outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, we could, but that's partly because it's not a recognized so that, you know, so people can't get funding to do the research. So it becomes a sort of uh, self-fulfilling prophecy that there, there isn't any research. But that would be great to get some some papers published on on outcomes, I think. Now, yeah. you have a book apparently that's coming out. Do you want to talk about that since we're on the subject of books? Yes. How exciting. Yeah. Little book called A Fork in the Road. So this wow. idea of the sort of you know that aha moment i'm hoping that for some people the little book will be literally the, the fork in the road uh, and i've i've enlisted some um, mar- some marvelous people to help me out so there's bitten dave avram wolf anna fruling and uh the fabulous georgia ead who who are all um so i've i've kind of written the text i want it to be really kind of easy you know straightforward it's kind of the book i wish had existed all those years ago, and then they've com- they've put their own comments um, you know, about their own stories, but also about things like food plans and recovery, and so there's chapters on that. And then, because I am a bit of a foodie, there are recipes. <laughs> well, what's, always, what's the I've name always, of the book or the thesis of the book? So it's it's really just the simple introduction to what what is what is food addiction. You know, might have I got it? It's, so it's for, it's for the public, really. Have, have, have I got it? You know, if so, how do I get motivated to change? So I've put the kind of grin stuff in there for people. And, you know, what should I do? So we talk about, you know, the, the sort of low-carb keto for what the kinds of foods to eat. But I talk about, well, you know, it's finding, finding your own way with that. Um, but there are some recipes in it. And then it's, you know, w- what what to do. You know, we all we all relapse all this kind of carb creep we were talking about, weren't we? Oh, yeah. uh, you know, what to what to do when that happens and then resources where to go because it's only a little book it's beautifully illustrated by um some lovely people called michael and kiki Rowley. and um you know it's just supposed to be a starter so there's a chapter of resources you know with things like you know go and listen to the food junkies podcast and um you know read this book uh, here's some people to follow and it just to start people off on on their journey and all the profits are, I should say are not for me but for the public health collaboration that I mentioned that hosts David's infographics who are also going to start campaigning for uh, sugar addiction food addiction being recognized and we're you know hopeful to organize conferences and things like that so the money's the money's going to that charity 
That's exciting. So speaking of conferences, you have an intensive coming up in Bristol in May. And I think the timing of the book and the intensive are very like spot on, right? I don't know. So talk to us about the intensive. Like, what is it about um, who should consider registering if it isn't full? Yeah. What, what could they expect to get from that? Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it should be amazing. It's a four day with the amazing Bitten Johnson and it's, she's done it she's done it a few times around the world this intensive i think she has done it in america before um all the food is provided people come stay on site and it's for professionals and or people you know just individuals um struggling with with food addiction and a bit and sort of imparts all of her her knowledge <laughs> from A to Z in four days and you come you come away spinning and dazed but then you get also six months follow-up um, on Zoom with Bitten and myself and I'll be weaving in some of my stuff around you know obviously you know along the lines of the of the grin model so looking at people's best hopes and helping them to kind of notice their own strengths and resources and um, what little steps they, you know, they feel confident in taking. So it's, it's kind of the two of us woven together, but it's mostly Bitten's, uh, Bitten's content around recognizing if you are a sh- sugar addict and then all the brain, she's going to do all the education about the, the effects on the brain and how to heal the brain and stuff like that. Great. So where do our listeners find you and information on how to get your book, how to pre-order it, maybe how to sign up for Bristol? Yeah. Give it, give it to us. Where can we find you? Uh, Okay. So I'm, I'm mostly lurking on Twitter. That's, that's the, the, the the place I lurk around most. So it's at Jen underscore Unwin. I do look at Facebook, but I, my, I don't use that as much for food addiction stuff. It's, It's mostly on Twitter. There's going to be a website called forkintheroad.co.uk and you'll be able to find information about them when the book's coming out but also obviously I'll let people know so you can put it on the Facebook groups and so on. In terms of finding the um, information for the intensive that's on Bitten's website which is bittensaddiction.com. Okay I'll make sure to put that all in this the show notes, but we just always like to ask our guests to share that with us. All right, Jen, it's the final, it's the final question. It's our signature question. Are you ready? All right. If you could tell a younger version of yourself, something about sugar, carb, processed food, addiction, whatever we want to name it and recovery, you know, what would that be? I love this question. I love everybody's answers so far. It's been so moving. Uh, And mine would be along a similar line really, which is just I suppose that kind of um how old would I be when I'd want to talk to myself about this probably about 10 because I think I'd be able to really understand it at that age I could have completely understood it and that was before I got in a real pickle I would say so Mm. I'd be about 10 and I'd probably say listen it's going to be all right because you know you'll work out all about this and somebody's going to invent the internet (laughs) and guess what Bitten Johnson's already been born and she's working it out ahead of time and some other lovely people like yourselves so uh it's it's all going to be all right you're working out and actually although all of these things are a struggle there's there's something about making your how would, how would you put it making your mess into your mission let's put it like that isn't there and mm. there's something really lovely about that <laughs> and that oh, like, you know that. that'll be a blessing in the long run Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Dr. Unwin. I, I love how you, that's a great way to end. We're making our mess into our mission. Thank you very much. And uh, Molly, do you want to close us off? 
Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Anwin. And we will make sure to um, let you know when your episode is uh, ready to rock and roll so you can share it on Twitter and uh, with uh, in in any newsletters or anything like that. So thank you so much. I'm absolutely honored to have been on. And I think I love your podcast. I love it so much. I I listen to it every Sunday. It's part of my regular routine now. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. It'll help so many people. All right. Thank you. Um, thanks for thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. And I hope we can meet up when we yes. when we do our international sugar conference. We'll all meet up. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies: Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group. I'm sweet enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.